Hello, 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 and a very warm welcome to episode 53 of the Women's Rugby Pod. I'm Johnny Hamlet, alongside me, Rachel Burford. How are you, Burford? Everything, everything well in the Burford world? Yes, everything's good. Thanks, Johnny. How are you doing? Yeah, we're good, thank you. Back into back into a bit of lockdown squad and good turnout of the uh, the AGM, the inaugural AGM of the Women's Rugby Club last night. Good geographical spread as well. Yeah, it was really good. It was just, we're, obviously, everybody's in lockdown at the moment, so we thought we'd just put a couple of sessions on over the weekend and we've got some other players coming in to do some of the sessions as well. And then, yeah, last night, the Girls Rugby Club AGM kicked off and it was incredible global spread, as you said, you know, similar to how where corners that the pod's reaching, you know, we went, we've got people from South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Syria, um, obviously lots of people from England. It was just really cool to to actually engage and, and see so many people wanting to get involved and, and grow the women's game, women and girls game. Yeah, absolutely. I particularly like the sort of about five minutes in, the really loud noises. <laughs> oh my God, I didn't even know that could happen. So we were hacked last night on Zoom and we had a lot of noisy teenage boys, I think it was, wanting to join in, which I mean, it's flattering that they wanted to join our Zoom. There you are. It's exactly that. Take it. Take it as a compliment. <laughs> if there's only three people on the call, they don't bother. So uh, no, you uh, take it as a compliment that... Um, <laughs> backwardly it is meant we must just talk about um, uh, as well you had a lot of sports on at the weekend a lot of women's sport boxing and, and rugby and club and international but obviously a bit of a landmark that um, the women's game went out on, on, on BBC2 Sarah Orchard and, and Cat Merchant on the on the comms but it was on terrestrial television and actually that created its own waves and rightly so yeah, it did. And I think it's, you know, it's an incredible step forward that that we're not trying to find where this game is. You know, it's not hidden behind a red button or behind a hyperlink and then it takes you to this site and then you've got to scroll down and click here. It, it, literally, you can be scrolling through in all ch- tele channels and coming across it. And that's what's so brilliant about it is the fact that everybody who's a women's rugby fan would, have, would be watching anyway, but we would have definitely have hit some new audiences, some new people, some critics that have a lot to say about women's rugby but don't actually know anything. You know, it really gave them an opportunity to see what the game is about. And I think what is also really exciting about it is that it backs up again this week. So it's almost like we've lured in new um, audiences and now it's like, right, this is what we did this week. Watch us back it up watch us go head to head, France coming over to us. So it just kind of builds that whole story um, and the excitement around the women playing. Yeah, uh, agreed. And I, and I know we, we, we always try and be half half full on this part, but just kind of getting, just a couple of things wrangling me at the moment. I, I, I would turn around and say, I couldn't agree more on Terrestrial. Really, really good. Um, enjoyed the rugby. I thought it was, a, it was a very, very good advert for the women's game, especially that second half. You know, a lot of broadcasters talking about, you know, driving the women's game, you know, committed to women's sport. You know, some of the big players, you know, it's it's before the men's game, but Amazon didn't want to do it. So it causes complications with the BBC and all the rest of it. So all hail the BBC and the RFU for, for getting that deal over the line. But uh, when is someone going to c- commit to it? When is someone going to commit to to the women's game? Have a bit of bravery. Um, all the stats are there. I just... ah. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. There's frustrations, isn't there? And I think you know it does. It's just got to take somebody to just be brave enough to go. Do you know what? 
it might not work out straight away, but we're onto something that could and will eventually be, you know, a golden product. And and that's not to say that it's not near that stage yet, but you know, in terms of finding new audiences that then brings in new commercial opportunities, like somebody just really needs to take the plunge and go, do you know what, I'm gonna throw myself into this and then just watch how many people then come knocking and want to be a part of it. Right, rant over. <laughs> We're making a bit of a habit of having a rant at the start. <laughs> well, let's get our first guest on, a lady who played out in Grenoble. It was her first start, a bit of an eerie stadium over in France, not an easy team to play. And then you start that first ever test at fly half, filling the boots of one of England's ever greatest, Katie Daly-McLean. Well, Helena Rowland did it and did it very well indeed. I caught up with the uh, new Red Roses fly half yesterday morning. I'm Rocky Clark, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Absolutely delighted to be joined this morning by Helena Rowland, England's fly half of the weekend. Helena, how are you? How How's the body since the, the, the return from France? Yeah, not too bad. A few bumps and bruises, but that's to, ex- to be expected from playing France, I'm sure. How have you and the, the rest of the squad reacted to, to that victory? It's not a... I mean, France is not an easy place to, to go and win, although sort of England seem to have a bit of a bit of the wood on, on France at the moment. But Grenoble is not somewhere they've, they've won very often. No, um, so it was massive uh, to come away with that. Uh, well, with not only a victory, but that sort of performance. Um, yeah, I think everyone's very pleased with how it went. Um, obviously got another game this weekend to try and back it up. But yeah, I think everyone's really pleased with the performance. Very good, very good. Straight out the media handbook, straight on to the next game. I like it. Uh, we we will just dwell, if, if we may, on on, on last yeah, weekend. Yeah. As a team, what did you get right? What needs improving? I think um, we spoke a lot at half time about our kicking game um, and how that could be more effective, uh, making sure we're finding grass. Um, and that uh, working on our kick chase has been something that has been drilled into us for the last few months. So, um, And I think that really showed at the weekend, putting pressure on um, and, yeah, just keeping them down there, not giving them any easy outs. And I think I think that was the biggest thing um, that definitely changed second half, um, allowed us much more freedom to then play out from the back as well, um, as you saw with the couple of tries straight after half time, both of them on kick returns. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and from a personal point of view, it was a big deal for for us us media media oiks. You starting at, at ten, and uh, and obviously no Katie Daly McLean, um, obviously a wonderful player and and a World Cup winner and whatever. But I, I know talking to, to to Simon Middleton that he really wanted to sort of send out some some young players and and, and really test you. How how do you, how have you analysed your performance now? The sort of dust has settled. Yeah, I was pleased with how it went. Obviously, know that France is such a tough place to go. So, yeah, just pleased. I felt I managed to implement a bit of my game in there, a um, bit more of a running style than um, maybe how they've played previously. Um, but, yeah, I was really, I really enjoyed it out there. Um, obviously, great to get a start as well, um, to really get into the game um, and... Yeah, it was it was 
I was pleased with how it went. I think you should be, absolutely. Yeah, because <laughs> not, not, not easy as a, as a 10 to come off the bench, is it? To, to go from sat on a cut to cold bench. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm being... <laughs> I'm being flippant because you would do your warm ups and whatever, but to to go from yeah. from zero to to 100 miles an hour and start running a game is, I guess, is, is particularly difficult. Did you did you feel feel lots of pressure, Helena? I mean, obviously it's a first first cap as a as a start, but you know it's uh, you're feeling some pretty big boots there in a in a, in a hostile environment against a team who, let's be honest, we don't like each other. Uh, we had <laughs> Chloe Pell on the on the pod last week. He said um, during the game we hate England, and then as soon as the, the final whistle finishes, <laughs> you know we, we, we don't. But it is a hostile place. How much pressure did you feel, and how do you deal with it? Um, yeah, obviously it's a, a very much pre- pressurized environment. It it helps having people like Skaz outside you. Um, they kind of instill a sense of calm in you and um and really kind of tell you to play what you see um which helped a lot um definitely knowing people are on board and being like like just play your game um and it'll be fine don't try to try to do anything that you wouldn't normally do um and so that really helped going into it obviously there was still a lot of nerves flying around um because it's a big place to come come and play particularly on like you say, first start. Um, but yeah, it definitely helps with the players around you keep chatting to you and keeping you calm and <laughs> collected so you can still make <laughs> make decisions. Yeah, she's quite calm, isn't she, outside yeah. Oscar? She's reasonably calm. I commentated on your your, your game for Loughborough the, the week before and that's not only against Harlequins but, but also against France. People very, very close to charging you down and Popping a little sidestep yeah. in there now, um, and and against Quinns, you 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 knocked it off the left peg, um, which at the point I looked at Simon Middleton, he went, oh, I didn't realise she could do that, um, <laughs> with with great glee in his eyes. But and, and I was commentating with, with with Mo Hunt, who who said she's one of those players, and I don't want to embarrass you, but I probably might do. Just has time with the ball. Now I, I've said it for years about, about you know. The, the lady you spoke about, Emily Scout, you seem to have that quality as well. Do you realise that? No. <laughs> Lovely. It's um, just that much no, natural actually, talent. <laughs> I always feel under pressure. <laughs> That's why I think I kicked it off my left because I was thinking I'm not getting it away off my right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so even in a panic situation, you come out with a with, with a class piece of play. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, I, and also I think Helena, you you had the confidence to, and you, you may have answered this with with what the sort of likes of what Emily Scarrett said, but even the the the, you know, the the week before and in that last Six Nations game against uh, against Italy, I was really impressed. You came on and you tried to play your game rather than going right. Well, I've just got to play within the system, and I've just got to go and do this. It's my first cap and all the rest of it. A huge amount of confidence off the bat. Uh, again, is that something you, you you kind of pride yourselves on, or are there people around you saying, "Go, on, just go out and do that"? Uh, it it's something that I try to pride myself on. Um, but again, like before the game, speaking to Mids and Scott, and they're very much like, "We want to see you play your game," um, which then instills a lot of confidence, knowing that you can go out there. You've got the backing of coaches. Like the, the players are on the same page, um, so yeah, that that's definitely a massive confidence booster, and really helps <laughs> when you're when you're in the game making these decisions. You've got that in the back of your mind, thinking, "I'll oh, just have a go, play what you see." 
I mean, he's been a, a been a, a sort of whirlwind few months. Obviously, uh, the huge news with the, the sevens being paused, should we say? I think that's probably the, the, the best way to yeah. to uh, to describe it. You come back into the fifteens. Sort of two two parts of my question. One is how much you enjoyed back in, being back in the fifteens, and, and number two, how much is playing that sevens helped you? in your pivotal role. We speak about that sort of being under pressure from a charge down kick. We know at sevens, your, your skills and what have you are completely lucky under the microscope. Um, how much has sevens helped you being sort of flip-flopping back to 15s now? I think sevens has massively helped. It's definitely helped my confidence um, to take people on and to throw those passes. I think maybe before I went, um, I played a little bit more within myself, a little bit more within the systems. Um, Whereas coming back, you just uh, something that was drilled into us in sevens was kind of good decision, bad decision, no decision. So just do do something with conviction, um, and people will back you, and you'll you'll make meters or make a break. Um, but just the no decision kills you. Um, so just be confident in what what you're trying to do and um, kind of how you want to play. So I think that's been massive coming back into it. Um, particularly sat at the backfield as well, <laughs> loving um, the counter-attack opportunities. And um, I think that a lot of that's come from sevens, having that space and um, really trying to take people on. Um, so, yeah, I think I think sevens has been huge for that. And, yeah, going back to the first part of your question, I, I really enjoyed being back in 15s. Obviously, maybe not the circumstances that we thought it would happen, but... Playing for Loughborough as well has been really good. Um, they play a really nice attacking brand of play, which fits in with, with the seven style a bit more. Um, and, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed being back. Less so on the cold and rain, but <laughs> the actual playing side of it has been good fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to ask, um, when I was pre- previously being at Saracens, I suspect there would have been a lot of interest around. What, why did you choose Loughborough? So I've been studying up at Loughborough for the last couple of years, um, obviously remotely through being in sevens. So it just it seemed like the right decision, have everything in the same place, my university and my rugby. Um obviously a very good side as well um so yeah that was that was what made my decision in the end to study rather than um the, the team um and they happened to be needing a 10 funnily enough so uh it kind of worked <laughs> out very nicely yeah. indeed. <laughs> yeah it did um the only other thing i was going to ask you about was just moving ahead um it is a it's a massive year for rugby. i'm not sure um, certainly, my, my time involved in, in women's rugby, we, we've had a year like this. You know, everything crossed. Um, it's Olympics and then a World Cup. Are, are you affording yourself? Are, are there conversations already going on? Or is it just the, the situation so fluid? You, you're not having those conversations yet as to a plan of the year, whether you might stay 15s or flip flops back to sevens. Are those conversations going on at all? What, where's your head? What would you like to do? Yeah, uh, the conversation's definitely going on. Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty around the Sevens programme, when it's going to restart, what the tournaments are going to look like and the prep for the Olympics. Like, it's all very unknown at the moment. Um, so it's definitely conversations that we're having just to make sure like we're all on the same page with regards to coaches, players, um, and just making sure that we can make the most of both opportunities. Um, 
like I I think for um for me in particular the Olympics is still a massive goal um and I've been very open with that but the opportunities that have come off the back of it being postponed and being back in 15s it's opened up um potentially the world cup as well which is is great um and to to be able to do both or give both a go is is such a great opportunity and one that I couldn't be missed but yeah the conversations have been kind of how how best we can maximize your know, opportunities in both really um yeah it's it's not been set on one or the other which is great from from my perspective yeah Thoroughly enjoyed the the, the the conversation, um, but I'm conscious of your time, your studies, and all that uh, rest and recuperation you've got to do. Um, and you're back into camp, presumably tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, back into camp yeah. tomorrow. Um, what? What? Uh, this is one for sort of uh, slightly slightly younger listeners. They they always like questions like this. Um, what first attracted you to to rugby? Why rugby? Um... I think the physical nature of the game. Um, I, I started with a classic, my older brother played, um, so I always wanted to play. And I started playing when I was six, so really quite quite young, particularly on the girls' side of the game. Um, and yeah, I think just the physicality. Um, I've played a lot of other sports, um, like netball and things like that for school. I always got pulled up for contact because I've run into people. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, I think definitely that that side of the game uh, was what drew me to it. Great stuff. Uh, and just just one final question, just to 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 wrap us up. I wouldn't say easy, but um, the easy part is possibly getting to to world number one, which uh, the Red Roses are now. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not so easy to to stay there. France back at uh, back at HQ this weekend. How uh, has it already been spoken about? What a what a damaged beast that, that they'll be. They won't they won't have liked that second half. So they'll they'll come over with uh, with some real intent. Yeah, um, I think it's something we spoke about going into last week's game as well. Obviously, they were coming back off off the draw with Scotland, so we we're very much they're, they're going to want to come out and prove a point. Um, and then even more so this weekend, given. Um, how the second half played out so yeah something that we're we're definitely aware of and I'm sure will be spoken about a lot this week um need to get our physicality up and and make sure we can try and negate that um yeah it's it's kind of going to be another tough game I'm sure and and start half earlier yeah, well, that would be, that'd be good, wouldn't it? I'm sorry. I've got to squeeze one more question. Um, uh, it's something I asked Simon Middleton, but it'd be really interesting to get to get your your thoughts on it. it is it about getting a winning culture now? We've spoken about a lot, a lot in sport, isn't it? That you, you get into the habit of winning. Is is, is that something you're conscious of or, or are we looking at... Um, yeah, you know, just purely performance. I know there's there's quite a lot of team changes, and I know personally, having spoken to to Mids, that he wants to look at players in certain positions and what have you. But but is the, is the key focus right? Let's just keep winning. Let's keep winning. Or or are we saying, look, well, if we perform at this, then then we will win. I think a winning culture is is a big thing in a World Cup year. Um, just being able to pull out those wins, um, and like you say, obviously top of the world rankings at the moment so trying to stay there is is definitely a goal um 
but with that I think particularly these few games it's it's also massively about performance like you've said he's brought in a lot of young players or inexperienced players players coming back from sevens um to give game time and and see see what we can do really so um yeah from a performance point of view it's it's huge um to to go out there and like play one of the best teams in the world and um really show what we can do so i think i think they're both massively important i think with the performance maybe the results will come anyway um so but yeah both both definitely important focuses going into the week not one one way or the other i don't think <laughs> Well, you are absolutely bang on message because I think that's exactly what he said as well. So, well done, you. You are you're on message. He'll be listening to this and going, yeah, that's good. Emily will be listening to this going, yeah, good. Trained her well. Helena, look, thank you so, so, so much for your time this morning. It's been, it, it continues to be a real, real treat watching you on the field. Um, and uh, it's been a real treat to speak, to speak to you this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. Great stuff. You Keep being you on the field. Yeah, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> good luck at the weekend. But she speaks incredibly well, and it sounds like there's a there's an environment there where she is allowed to be herself, and she is you know, a slightly different player to to Katie Daly McLean. Um, but it sounds you know, the framework that that Sam Middleton has and Scott Bean are putting in there that she she's has a license to to express herself, and when you have the array of skills that Helena Rowland has, then great. Yeah, I think that interview shows that she's very mature. You know, playing on the seventh circuit, you do go away from home a lot. You are on the road, travelling. You know, she she's really stepped up and taken her opportunity playing in the Allianz 15s. Like, before she went away to sevens, we knew that she was going to be a star, whether whatever side of whatever game she was going to play, whether that was sevens or 15s. And I think... You know, when someone's got talent like that and, you know, the space that she can see, she's able to exploit it, you know, either herself or be able to move the ball into there or to kick the ball into there. Like, why would you try and change that? Why would you try and stop what she's been doing, you know, on a sevens pitch, but also on a 15s pitch um, in a Luffer Lightning shirt? I think it would be criminal if Scott and Mids tried to, to say, no, look, this is how we want you to play because... You know, that takes away that kind of rawness about her and the difference from, you know, Katie Daly McLean. You know, Katie has those skills as well. And oh, I yeah. think it's just about allowing her to express herself um, and to see, you know, what what a great duo to have. You know, the balance of the two will be um, you know, something that Simon Middleton is probably looking at to build for the World Cup. There's no point having two Katie McLeans or, or two Helena Rowlands. You need two that can complement one another and... And do a job at different times. So, yeah, really exciting prospect. Um, she did go really well. And I think, you know, just having that relaxed calmness around her, you know, very helpful having Leanne one side of her and, and Skaz not too far the other way. Um, yeah, I think she she filled that role really well. Could she play 12? She did play 12 um, before she went off to sevens. and then, But I think she was a 10 that was filling in at 12 because Zoe Harrison was at Saracen. So was just trying to jiggle in her around a bit and how the tables have turned. Yeah, indeed. So <laughs> indeed. So, so uh, overall, I, I think we both agree that Helena um, played really well, steered, steered, the, steered the ship. Well, again, overall for, for me, that there's a lack of panic 
you know, 10-0 at half-time, came out the second half, and uh, I think there's a point that, that Sarah Hunter was making in the, in, in the studio on the television, that actually it's a side who can adapt really quickly. My question is, possibly are they, are they doing that on the field themselves enough? Or we often see a sort of reaction at half-time. Um, but when things are wrong, they seem to change it up and bang, 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 showed after half-time, took the game completely and utterly away from France and, and totally dominated the second half. Overall for you, how impressed? Yeah, I think, you know, you can, you can underestimate sometimes how tough fixtures are when you're playing them as opposed to what the result just looks like at half-time. And, I think you know, they know that they would have been in a fight. The same happened against when they played in the Six Nations match. It was like 12, 10 at half time. So they always know that they're in for a fight with, um, in for a wrestle with uh, France. But yeah, look, there, there are leaders on that pitch that have been in those situations. And when you actually look at that team, I think a lot of people talked about like selection. Oh, it's a young squad. It's an unknown squad. But actually, there's a lot of nuts and bolts in there that have been playing regularly. And only probably the wild card is Helena starting at 10. And I know it's a critical position. But there's a lot of players that have got a lot of caps, a lot of experience. You know, the time when they were playing France at Sandy Park, you know, last minute, managed to turn it around, score. You know, so they've been in high-pressured moments. So they're, they're able to to come together. But also with the use of, like, Amy Turner being there on the sideline, you've also got the, the coaches that will also have an input. Um, but having said all that, and I know it was a great victory, there were quite a lot of moments that actually... If France executed, England could have been in quite a bit of trouble. Um, and it's kind of a bit of the same story, like that Six Nations game, you know, loose passes. They France created some really exciting stuff, but then just they either give up like poor discipline or they're they're lazy or they're they're running too hard onto the ball and throwing the ball too hard onto the player and then they'll knock it on and and then that chance is gone. I think we kicked a little bit loosely. Um, I think Ellie Kildun's a couple of her kicks went straight down the middle straight into some of the, you know, that that is that could be criminal. And, you know, I think credit to England's defence to rectify some of those loose kicking. But there will be parts of that game that France will look back again and be like, cool, we had them there. That was a great opportunity there. We should have finished there. We could have done it, could have done that. And But that, that's what I think is the biggest difference between England and any other nation right now is their ball retention. Even if they miss the opportunity... They have the discipline to look after the ball, the discipline to recycle it, and then they'll get another opportunity. With France, they just couldn't keep hold of the ball. And when they did build it, some really exciting stuff and actually pulled England out of position defensively. Um, and if I was England, I'd be looking back now going, right, where were the chances that France had? Right, we need to fix those up. Yeah. Yeah, that second half, they, yeah, we, 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 when they did kick... Although there was a sort of slight more uh, urgency to counterattack, you know, Jess Breach showing, showing her her pace. Um, yeah, the, but that kicking game was yeah far superior in the second half. They were actually hitting hitting grass rather than sort of straight down players. But um, two more questions just just on that before we before we move on. Number one is, I know you said sort of Helena Rowland is is the kind of only sort of su- surprise there, but six that we know yeah. of. Yeah out from a World Cup. I suspect they might try and squeeze a, another couple in sort of early summer, if they can. Would you be wanting your first team playing week in, week out in every every one of those six now to, to get that rhythm? You know, 2014, incredibly settled side, hardly a change, 
sort of 18 months, certainly two years leading up to it. Your thoughts? Um, I think to a degree, yes, you want to have um, you know confidence in the players that you you want to take to that World Cup. And I think, but what you don't want to do is, you know, God forbid something happens to one of your starters, you need to have that depth and that um, ability. And I think, yeah. you know, we rewind to like 2006 World Cup, there were players there that had no real experience. 2010, you know, Gary Street and Graham Smith made sure that a lot of girls were capped in order to have that experience. So I think it's, it's just, it's about getting that balance right. I think you want to have a lot of key positions where, you know, your decision makers, that they get a lot of time on ball and that they're in the game playing a lot so that they allow to bring in others around them. But um, I don't think you can go completely with starting 15 for the next six games because it just doesn't work like that. And in a World Cup, I know that we've now got longer days and they've got bigger squads. So then actually you don't, you may, you may not need to rotate as much, but you know, injuries still happen. And that's a big thing that if you miss, if you lose a couple of players and suddenly someone's got a slot in, you need to give them the opportunity now and the game time, not opportunity because they've earned that. Give them the game time to give them that, that experience and give them that confidence so that if they ever do get that call up, then they're ready. Yeah, but um, I'm just going to counter that, just play devil's advocate because I actually uh, agree with, with what you're saying. Uh, and I know for well, having spoken to Simon Milton, at Loughborough, to your game a couple of weeks back, that you know he wanted to go to France without some of those experienced heads to say, look, you know, if there's there's gaps here without the 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 Katie Damon Cleans, without the Sarah Hunters, you know, who, who's going to fill that void? Who's going to step up to the leadership? And do you know, what, in terms of that side of it, absolutely fair play. Reacting in the game, going to want to Grenoble, not an easy place to get, to go and play with with a few new caps and a few new starters. The it's not an experiment, is it? But but yeah, you know, that's a way of doing as has, has, has worked. But yeah, you, know, you you played in the in the sense with Emily Scout, God knows how many caps. Yeah, you know, that that rhythm, that relationship. Yeah, you know, when you're going to go against, you know, we we'll talk later on about the New Zealand Black Ferns against the the Bar Bars. You know, huge amount of talented players over there. When you're going to be playing in in the latter ends of the World Cup, do those relationships, that symbiotic relationships, do, do they not count for something? Yeah, of course they do. Um, but, you know, a lot of those relationships are established. If you think about, you know, in the pack front row, um, for instance, the pack that started this weekend, you know, six out of that starting pack played together, or five out of that starting pack played together week in, week out. So I think you, you'll naturally have some crossover. But look, I, I do hear you. And I think I think now is the real time that, and obviously, as we see, that they're really experimenting. I think you'll see difference come Six Nations. There may be a few players that will be rotated in and out. Um, but also, the, they're going to want to look after players as well. And I know that we haven't had a big year and they haven't had all the test rugby that they wanted. But they are going to want to look after a few players, give some players some downtime, some rest time. Um, so that come World Cup time and World, prep, World Cup prep time, that everybody's, you know, hundred percent and they're ready to go and but I do I hear you there is there is a lot to say about that and it's about that kind of confidence with the people around you but also in yourself you know the coaches backing you week in week out counts for a hell of a lot um but at the same time you don't want to get to a stage where you know suddenly 
things happen and it's not the team that you want to put out. And so, so now suddenly you've got to rely on players that you haven't given an opportunity for or you haven't made feel comfortable. You know, that's a worse place to be in than having built some smaller relationships around those solid ones. Yeah, look, I, I, and I think the, the, the situation with the COVID um, and not having the summer tour, which I think, you know, would have been a, a time to kind of experiment. The fact that the, the Sevens players have come in, I know that there would have been two or three of them that would have been targeted and, and, and asked to, to come back to the 15s post, post-Olympics post should have happened, you know, this this summer. So there's, there's lots of, you know, those Sevens players have come in. You don't want to miss that talent, you know. Immediately, Ellie Kildun starts starts both games. Helena Rowland's both involved. Do we want to miss out on that talent or exclude that talent? Of course not. Absolutely not. So, yeah, I think there's there's lots of moving parts, isn't there? So, uh, but yes, and away we're in France by that kind of margin. Um, chapeau. Yeah, no, really good result, and not taking anything away from that. I think the the question and the concern is what happens. If Sevens comes back and when it will come back, it will come back. And then what's going to happen with those players who have come back over? Um, are, are the programs going to work together to allow athletes to do both? Or are the players going to be put into a position where they're going to have to say, well, you're going to have to choose this or that. And then all of a sudden you've done all this investment in some of those Sevens players and then they go back to Sevens. With, like, no, no problem. We want players to do what they want to do. But then you talk about those relationships, you talk about that time together, that investment. That's going to be really interesting when those decisions come round, what happens and what those players choose to do or what, what options those players have to potentially be a part of an Olympic game and the uh, Rugby World Cup. Yep. Interesting. Time will tell. I am Shona Pell Hughes, and you are listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. So what else will be going on around the overall world, international-wise? Well, of course, the New Zealand Black Ferns play the New Zealand Barbarians after their possible Probables game last week. 34-15, the Black Ferns came through that one, uh, and there were tries from debutantes Langi Vainu, Kelsey Wills, and Shailene Robbins-Retty. And of course, your friend Kendra scored birth. We're not friends anymore. God of nations at thy feet. Anyway, uh, this weekend at Trafalgar Park in Nelson, the Blackburns and the New Zealand Barbarians play out chapter two of this little sort of mini series that they are playing. And it's part of a double header with Tasman against Bay of Plenty. Sorry we didn't mention this last week. Um, we, we should have been saying that this was happening. Samoa were playing against Tonga. And this was a really, really important game because it, the winner would take the last spot of the final tournament qualifier for the Rugby World Cup 2021. And Samoa completely blew it away, taking the win 40 points to nil against Tonga. Congratulations to Samoa taking the last spot. Yeah, taking the last spot. For a tournament, they, they've they got to play to qualify. But... Um... Oh, it'd be great to have Samoa out, out in the World Cup, wouldn't it? 2014, group stages. I know Tony um, Mo Hunt would remember that game game particularly well down at uh, Marcosi. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a good side. They're so physical. Um, probably the the most physical, one of the most physical teams next to New Zealand. Um, but they play with such great spirit of the game. 
they want to move the ball around they play exciting expansive rugby um so yeah look, it'd be great to have them at the world cup again um i doubt mo will want them again after for those of you who don't know in 2014 she took a bit of a um samoan high shot where mo just jumped into gymnastics for a minute um, Pole vault, almost, yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, no um, it'll be awesome to have Samoa back in the in the World Cup. Totally agree. Uh, and we, we didn't get time to to react on it last week um, with our record times and what have you. But those, those Six Nations fixtures cancelled. Just just a word on that from you, Beth. Uh, I'm really, I'm really disappointed that they've been cancelled uh, for the players and for the teams. Like the critical games and. I know COVID times are difficult and we, we, we've said that a number of times, but I what bugs me a little bit is that there's two England versus France games going on and yet we couldn't get France versus Ireland played, for example. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a bit disappointed that the Six Nations games didn't continue and, and maybe there's a regulation that within the Six Nations that, that is why they couldn't, but, you know critical time for for Ireland, Scotland and Italy. Qualifiers, they they want to qualify for the World Cup. They want to have the opportunity to play. The points rankings are at stake. Um, you know, it, it's a big deal these games being played and I'm sure they did exhaust all opportunity all avenues to to have them played, but having spoke to some of the players, I mean they're just they're so gutted. They've been preparing um and trying to get their head around these these games in order to best prepare them for qualifiers and, and then the qualifiers being rearranged and nobody knows when that's going to be, you know, it, it's really tough for them. Yeah. And, and I guess as a, as, as a fan, you don't know the sort of inner workings and what's going on behind the scenes, which you and I are sort of you know, very lucky to, to be privy to, to some of those sort of conversations or have you, but it's very difficult when the Premier 15s is going on week in, week out there's a raft of, of men's autumn nation cups going on. There's, as you say, there's England, France, France, England going on. How come? And you know, there's been a lot of camps, a lot of time, effort, a lot of sacrifices made by players and, and, and unions to to get players prepared for you know to qualifying for a World Cup, the absolute pinnacle of their sport. So, yeah, as you say, uh, hope and 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 yes suspect all all avenues were were investigated to to try and get them on and we, yeah certainly hope hope that is the case um but yeah i've spoken to the head of the women's six nations ivan sibranka i know we've been talking about him for for quite a while trying to get him on the pod he's a, he's a busy chat with the autumn nations cup at the moment but said he would come on the pod sort of mid december so yeah that's these are all sort of questions that we can we can line up for him anyway talking of the world cup Yes, this Friday, the World Cup draw is going to take place in Auckland with the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, Melanie Robinson and Dr Farah Palmer and Dan Carter are all going to be in attendance. It's going to be streamed live on World Rugby channels from 7.30am New Zealand time. That's a line-up, isn't it? I know, right? That's pretty, wow. pretty cool attendance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Melanie Robinson is... yeah. A force of nature, Dr. Farah Palmer, we, we know all about. Jacinda Ardern, oh. Um, I mean, I did turn him down, you know, just couldn't do the two-week quarantine beforehand. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, we've heard from Helena Rowland earlier on the pod. Let's get a perspective now from one of the piano shifters, the key cog in that England eight. 
It's Amy Cocaine. So I'm joined by Amy Cocaine, literally fresh off the plane from France. How are you, Amy? Yeah, not too bad. It's been a bit of a long travel day, as they always are. But um, yeah, we've got a day at home now before back into camp on, on Tuesday. So it's, yeah, it's good to be back. Even if it is just for a short while. Um, I mean, let's go straight to it. How was the game for you? Yeah, it was a bit of a weird one, really. Like playing uh, France in France is normally, you know, you've got thousands of French fans screaming god knows what at you so um it was a bit of a weird one obviously like in the covid times we're living in but um yeah obviously really good to get the win against france and to do it in france is really good you know for some people um it was their first time beating france in france so i think for a squad um yeah it was a really good good game yeah there's definitely something about playing away from home and especially france they are really tough to get those wins and i guess that's quite really important for a young squad to be able to get that opportunity to go away and be able to play but do you feel that the the no crowds helped you guys out a little bit because obviously we've played there before when there's been like 15 to 17,000 people there screaming and shouting it makes a big difference do you reckon that helped you this weekend uh, so I think it's a bit of an interest one I think some people said that the French probably didn't perform so well in the Scotland game the other week because of the whole no crowd like they're very much a team that when the crowd's behind them, they seem to have that, that 16th player on the pitch. So maybe they were lacking that, but I think they probably need to get used to it for a little bit um, now because they can't see crowds coming back anytime soon. And at half-time, what, what was said? Because it was a very tight game, the first 40 minutes, you know, 10 or half-time. What was said by the coaches or maybe some of the leaders? I know that you're one of the leaders in the team. Was there a few, few words said? Because... You know, by all accounts, second half, you kind of just ran away with it. You know, 23 unanswered points um, to put on the side that, you know, did seem to be right in and amongst um, the game. Yeah, I think it was uh, like before the game, kind of one of the big messages was if you if you give France like the momentum, um, normally like if they score a try, they'll probably score another try really quickly. Like when they've got that momentum behind them they seem to just really run with it and it can be quite a, a strong beast to try and stop really. So I think half time probably came at quite a good time for us within the game. Um, and then it was kind of like, just go back to the basics, play simple. Um, they didn't present anything kind of like new to us that we hadn't planned for. So I think we just needed to kind of like calm down and kind of control the game a bit more, play it more how we wanted to play it. Um, and yeah, we got, two quick tries which is always a good thing after half time and then gives you that breathing space I suppose you don't have to chase a game so much so um yeah that no, was really good yeah nothing that- really massively was said at half time though to be fair just kind of basics and <laughs> just start playing proper rugby well I mean it definitely was a more of a composed um second half so I think you know that's great to know that actually there wasn't much that was needed to be said that the players in the room kind of had knew what needed to be done and had the control to be able to go out there and deliver and I mean Johnny Hammond is going to be gutted that he's not chatting to you because he wants to chat scrums which is not something that I have um I have interest in, but not necessarily any expertise in. Um, and just talking about the balance there, it's always been um, quite a battle between France and England, um, the, the scrum. And during that game, there were you guys were dominant on some occasions and they were dominant on other occasions. I mean, historically, people have felt that maybe it was a bit of a worry 
going up against a French pack. Is there any worry in the team? I mean, can you give us a bit of an insight to how sometimes the scrum can completely, you know, one minute you're on top and dominating and then a complete flip the next scrum that's had? Yeah, I think um, scrums is quite fine. Uh, and against popular belief, it's not just people pushing as hard as they can. Um, it's quite, a, <laughs> there's like, intricacies that go with it. So um, something that France, for example, were doing at the weekend was they were um, <laughs> they were um, stepping slightly off the mark. So they were stepping to their left, which was our right, which kind of means their tight head was more on me as the hooker, which kind of took Cornbra out of out of the scrum a little bit. So um, just different things like that. Um, if you it's kind of more of on like winning the hit as well. So when the engage happens, if you can find yourself in the better position, then obviously you're more likely to um, have a better outcome. So yeah, there was just a few little things going on in the scrum, but that's, that's why we love it. You know, it's front row. It's, we like that challenge, you know, it's boring if you just kind of fold in, hit and you win your ball, they win their ball. So um, yeah, no real worries. It's just all about problem solving on the pitch really. Yeah, I guess that maybe those first couple of scrums is kind of like you're sussing each other out, how they're going to, you know, what tactics they're going to approach. And then I guess how you kind of try and go against that. Um, I mean, you've got, we've had, England have had a new forwards coach coming in. I mean, can you give us an insight to, to his role? What does he bring that might be slightly different to previous uh, forward coaches? Um, and has he, is he adding anything new into that pack? Yes, we've got Lufferson. Um he kind of joined us during lockdown um obviously with Blazy moving on um he he's obviously from like a hooker background so where we've had Blaze before that was more like second row background so he's he's come in and he's uh, added a bit more to like scrum and scrum detail so before sessions we'll be doing some like front row stuff um which has been quite good um because it's not so much we didn't have too much of that before which was definitely like needed and something that as front rows we wanted so um that's been welcomed um i suppose he hasn't really had too much time to shake anything else up um as of yet i don't know whether he will shake much up um being so close to a world cup you can't really change too much at this stage but um i'm sure once once he settles in a bit more he might might add a bit more to the to the group yeah i guess it might just be you know i think England's line-out is pretty well-oiled, so it might just be about fine-tuning some some small details around that. But, I mean, as a general um, feeling after this weekend, obviously with the selection that was Simon Wilson selected, a very young side, you know, Helena Rolas getting her first start at, at number 10, leaving, you know, kind of Katie Daly, McLean, big names back at home to see how this squad goes. Where do you feel, you know, the whole squad is at, at the moment? Are they in a good place? You know, was it a smart move to kind of mix up selection to see where the squad is this um, far out from the World Cup? Yeah, uh, we've kind of been speaking about as a group that uh, the Six Nations was kind of like the end of one phase and we're kind of moving in like this France game was the start of a new phase. So um, I suppose at the start of phase, now is your time to to test those questions, test those players. Um, and full credit to Helena, I think she really took the opportunity. I think she played quite well in the game and obviously it's only like a second cap so France away is always going to be a big challenge so um, again it is a big decision to leave such a big character at, like Kate McLean home like she doesn't just offer stuff on the field it's kind of like the stuff she offers off it as well so um, 
but you know I think it's good to try those things out if you're going to do it you may as well do it now when you're still like a year away from a world cup instead of doing it nearer but um yeah it's definitely an interesting decision but um I think Mids pulled it off in the end yeah I think it's quite a brave decision like you say like if if he doesn't do it now then there's probably not going to be another opportunity to Obviously, that was a really strong win away at France. You know, it's taken England to be number one in the world now as well, 33-10. But there will still be things that you guys felt that you didn't do to the best of your ability and things that you want to get right for this weekend. Have you had time as a squad yet to even consider any of that? No, not really. Um, We haven't done anything too much since after the game. It's all just about um, recovering and then obviously travel day. So, well, I've... Monday off back in clubs and but you know like all the girls have probably already watched the game um already and had a look at what they think and then Tuesday we'll um come together and kind of hear what the coaches think I suppose and then we'll be into like two big training days Tuesday Wednesday where we can kind of put a few things right that we felt didn't necessarily go too well in the game um and then obviously we've got the opportunity again Saturday to try and um implement that actually in the in the game play. And and how excited are is everybody about you know the opportunity to play at Twickenham back at home? I know no crowds are going to be there, but it is pretty special to to be back at Twickenham. Yeah, definitely. I think everyone just really appreciates like how lucky we are to even be playing rugby at the minute. So to be able to play rugby at Twickenham um, is huge, and you know we've got some players that it will be um, their first time playing at Twickenham. You know the likes of Helena Rowland and. And Mars and stuff that haven't haven't played there yet. So I think that adds a bit of excitement too. You know, when you've got people that haven't experienced it yet, no matter if there's a crowd in there or not. Like Twickenham's such an amazing place, like the home of rugby. So um, yeah, it should be a really really good occasion. You know, obviously you went over to France and you beat them on home soil. You know, being a player, you know that they're going to want to come and do the exact same on England's home soil. Are you going to be expecting anything different from from France this weekend? Yeah, obviously, uh, France always want to like punish us as England. I think that rivalry is just super strong and always has been. Um, we've kind of had had the rubber agree at the minute. You know, I think from like our last six games, we've won all six, which is quite rare. Like certainly in my time in the England shirt, we haven't had that much um, like consistent um, like performance against France. So. I think they're definitely hurting a lot and um, want to come over and kind of right through wrongs of their own. So it should be set to be a really good competitive game. And and it just brings me on to my last question, Amy, about the fact that, you know, you say it's going to be a really strong competitive game. And the fact that it's been on BBC Live, not Red Button, um, on the main channel. I mean, how big of a deal is that? Yeah, I think it's huge. I think it just the amount of people that can access it and like um there would be people that would have just stumbled across it which have now just been like introduced um into women's rugby which is huge you know uh, my mum messaged me after the game saying people she went to like high school and stuff with messaged her to say oh we've just seen amy on the tv people that she's not heard from in years so i think the reach that it has is kind of um not lost on us but um is probably a lot lot bigger than we think. Um, so hopefully that it becomes the norm is, is basically what we want. Um, you know, like you were saying before, normally it was like, oh yeah, we're playing, it's on Sky, Sport, Extra, Red Button, 
like crazy like you can't even find it yourself let alone trying to yeah tell other people how to access it so um the easier it can get obviously the better and to have the support of like bbc to put it on was um was yeah huge we as players didn't even really know until um a couple of days before so yeah it was a good surprise and does that does that change anything for players you know you said that maybe it's a little bit lost in everybody actually how many people and how many viewing figures it could reach does that add any different pressures or do you have any different approaches to a game like that because it's on that side kind of it's showcasing on the bbc oh uh, no i don't think so to be honest with you um i think you know when you when you're playing for england and you're playing international rugby you're always going to put your best foot forward anyway so um i don't think it would add any added pressure i i personally anyway didn't think of it in that way but I don't know whether other people did I'm not sure that's quite an interesting question actually well done um but um yeah I don't know Go back and do some recon. <laughs> <laughs> well no I think I think it's amazing and it'll be really it'll be great to find out actually what those figures are and and I think what's so special about it as well is that it's backed up so it's almost like some people like you said will have stumbled across it last week thought oh this is interesting oh, now I know a bit about it, then they can really get into it as a fan, potentially this weekend coming, knowing that there's another game. I mean, I think it just opens up brand new audiences. And it's so, so good to see that it's getting the airtime. And we just need to hope now that it continues and it doesn't get hidden away on a red button, then a blue button, and then behind another closed door and press this link. It's really easy and accessible <laughs> because the talent is so good and we need our sport to be shown. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it's something that um, quite a few times in women's rugby, I think we build up this momentum of a fan base of um, putting us on sort of like BBC and then we, it kind of like dips again and then we lose it. So I think we just need to kind of ride this wave and keep riding it instead of having these like ups and downs of exposure. Well, no pressure this weekend then to get another victory so we can keep those new fans in. Um, but Amy, thank you so much for today. <laughs> I mean, you've stepped off the plane and you've given up your time. So we really appreciate it on the Women's Rugby Pod. Um, so good luck this week. Good luck with selection. And we'll look forward to watching you at the weekend. Cheers. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm Chloe Pell and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. She's some player at birth. What what's what's she like to, to, to play alongside? Do you know what with Amy, I just think she's just really ruthless and if it like her approach to everything, her training, her attitude. And one of the things that she just she says it how it is and she calls things out and I think that's I think she's a great, great leader and I genuinely think she's a, a captain of the future. and um, she's somebody that I really admire and like this is you know, a lot of this thought comes at Harlequins where she just doesn't take anything um, and she's not, and she's always prepared to do whatever she's asking of others. And I think like when you have a player like that, who leads from that kind of example, then you get up, you get so much from them on the pitch and, you know, she's such a strength around the park. Um, and her game, understand it in training, she was trying to jump in at 10. Um, so she's always like, she's got a good eye. She's, she's not your traditional front row forward where, she doesn't understand what's happening around her as well. Like she understands the space and getting the ball to there and, and not just tucking the ball under the shoulder, under the arm, sorry, and running up, which she can do really well as well. But yeah, she's a she's a really good player and, you know, a player that England need to look after. Yep. And scum chat. Thank you for asking yeah, I mean, about that. 
I mean, I switched off when she started talking about that. I'm going to be honest, I mean. Yeah, music to my ears and plenty of the listeners as well. But her club, your club, were involved in a full set of Premier 15's games over the weekend. Let's go to uh, to to your game first then. A good win against your old mucker, Katie Daly McQueen. 31 nil it was. Do you know what? We were all a little bit nervous about this because obviously we've watched Sal play um, in previous games and they are, they're a team that just do not give up and really do put their bodies on the line. Like the defensive set from them, they just kept coming. Um, but really, really pleased with the result that we got because, you know, we had a lot of players that weren't with us and we had a lot of players that have been absolutely itching to get on the pitch and itching to play. They've been training really hard and they got an opportunity and it and for them to for us to to perform and get a result like that at home and to Neil's side says a lot about the characters in our team and gave Jared Mullen a really good view of the depth and of the other players that he hasn't yet been able to see play a game. Um so yeah, really good really good result for us at the weekend and, and it was great to try and chase Katie around the park um as ever, hugely competitive. Um, pinning us back all the time, but yeah, it was good to good to run out on that pitch with it. Yeah, on the face of it, thirty-one nil. You, you think it's fairly onside, but I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think so. Considering they come from literally nothing, um, very very impressive. Let's talk about then because um, on the other side of it, thirty-one, thirty-one six, Exeter, the other new outfit, beat DMP uh, Durham Sharks. Second win on the spin for, for Susie Appleby. Uh, McKinder, Garnet McKinder, a couple of tries for her, obviously, because she was on the pod. Yeah, we, we make these things happen, Berth, you know. Players of the match, Jay Conkle. Now people are scoring tries because they come on the pod. Watch how Helena Rowland and Amy Kokain play this weekend. It's not working for me, though, is it? <laughs> maybe you should invite me on to interview me and then we'll see what happens I'm glad you've said that um. <laughs> you can come on as a guest next week and then we'll see <laughs> very good very good pod wife DMP much much better in the second half and yeah, again we talk about them looking at yeah, this, this first season out of three because that's that's what they've got is 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 and they that's how they've got to look at it, isn't it? It's a three year program, you know, three years of, of building. But yeah, there there the, there are signs there, isn't there? But yeah, fair play to Exeter, a great win for them. Worcester went down to Loughborough Lightning, uh, twenty points to eight at six ways. Hard fought win really was. And when you think of Loughborough Lightning again, there's some some strength in in depth there. You know, no Scarrett, no. Uh, Hunter, no, Roland. Rona Lloyd, Abby Brown as well got on the score sheet. Katie Matheson got one back for Worcester. But that's a that's a good result from, from, from Loughborough. Yeah, uh, Loughborough are always tough with or without their, their big household names. They're, they're a really physical and dominant side when they get on the front foot. And I just think, you know, that, that player pool that they've got there... Um, over the last few years have been getting stronger and stronger. So it's great to see that they're able to to put in a performance against the, an up-and-coming Worcester side. Um, so, yeah, really good result for them on the road. Good result also on the road um, in that West Country derby. Bristol go down three points to 28 to Gloucester Hartbury. Uh, Gloucester with a heavy loss last week against Saracens. 
Hannah Jones, Blackburn Bonnet with, with tries for Gloucester Hartbury. Fihei as well. Um, they will have enjoyed that in the local derby. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's always kind of a big game for both Bristol and Gloucester Hartbury. Always edging to get the one over on each other. I think this was a similar thing that happened last year where I think Bristol beat Gloucester and then the return fixture was the other way around. So, yeah, it's good to see those two tussling. Um, you know, they're still without the likes of um, Natasha Hunt, but I think Bristol obviously had big... The two of their biggest players missing, Sarah Byrne and Amber Reid, who make a hell of a difference to that side. Um, and I don't just necessarily mean like their ability, but it's more what they can encourage and support others to do in the game as well. So I think, yeah, a tough day for Kim Oliver and her side. It was a tough first 35 minutes for Wasps at the Copthall Stadium. It ended up Saracens 33, Wasps 27. Are you going to say, what an absolute cliche as a commentator, but I've been doing this uh, a few years now and I've never seen a game of two halves more than I did at the Copthall Stadium in in the commentary box. Unbelievable first 35 from from Saracens. Whilst that completely shell-shocked, Cat Georgia Evans, I thought Georgia Evans was, was superb. Fleming with a try, Clark Miel, um, 33-3 at half-time. I heard there was a, a very strong team talk at half time from one of the forwards, um, which seemed to do the trick. My goodness, did it? Because in the end, actually, it looked like they were, you know, that they had a they had a chance right at the death to go and win it. I mean, Saracens' defence near their line was really really good, but they just kept gifting opportunities back to back to Wasps to to run back at them. But fair play, um, Renner Burnfield. With a couple, a uh, little scrum half got one, um, and Malloy, Claire Malloy, got another one. Uh, but it was a nervous finish. Um, but Wasley with with two points, and I possibly when the dust settles, you think um, they'll be happy to take a couple of points away from that try bonus point, like losing bonus point. But if they'd, um, yeah, if they'd, they'd been on their metal from from the off. But did the Saracens have that? Because I asked Mo in, in commentary. And she said, yeah, Saracens have that kind of almost, that, that sort of New Zealand all-black thing. It's that, oh, oh, we're playing against them. And wasn't a very relaxed pre-game, but do you feel the same with Saracens? I mean, you've at times you've blown them away and then they've come right back and, and sometimes it's been the other way around. I don't think we, we necessarily like have that fear of playing against them. I think we go in knowing that it's going to take every minute and every ounce and every chance and every mistake, like everything matters. So then that can obviously heighten your nerves and your worries and, and then that can make players perform differently. Um, but I think, you know, Saris have a very strong winning mentality to the death, um, no matter how much they're ahead or how much their, their backs are up against the wall. They have this mentality that um, that allows them to, to finish games and win games and claw things back and, you know, Wasps will be absolutely pinching themselves. Like I, I backed Wasps to win. I reckon Wasps had the opportunity to beat Saracens this weekend, and and that game proves it. You know, for for, 30, for thirty five minutes they had the upper hand, and it was a, you know, maybe there was one chance at the end there, but they probably had other chances in that first half where, you know, if they were able to, and it, I think all of them will be feeling that's the one that got away. That's the one that we could have beaten Saracens. Um, because 
you know, they did have a lot of players missing, but so did Wasps. So that that return fixture is going to be pretty exciting because Wasps will want to um, make a little bit of a point of what they should have done in this game. I must just mention Rocky Clark, who I thought was absolutely outstanding against Wasps. Her leadership um, and her engine to, to keep going absolutely extraordinary when I arrived it was absolutely peeing down with rain as it, yeah, it was fairly horrendous conditions all, all, all around the country wasn't it for, for those games but it was absolutely peeing down and she just had the biggest smile on her face said oh yeah your kind of day today Rocky she went yeah big smile on her face but no she was she was player of the match and, and rightly so so yeah big old injury list for, for, for both clubs as well I know Wasps could even fill, fill a full bench which um for the women's sort of top league game is 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 extraordinary. And I'm not I'm not saying that in terms of a sort of criticism of wasp, but um that that really shouldn't um, shouldn't be the case. Um well. only fix for this weekend, as far as the Premier Fifteens is concerned, is that rerun of the postponed Gloucester Hartbury against Sale game. So we'll bring that result to you next week as well. In speaking of results We've been trying to keep you up to date with the results going on at the, in Australia Club Rugby. But between Berth and I, and a, and a good old search and a Google and what have you, we, we, we simply can't find the results. And we, did, we, we spoke, didn't we, just before hitting the, the red button and record, whether we should sort of just leave it out altogether. But actually, it's well worth making the point, isn't it? You know, if you can see it, you can be it. If you can't even find results, ah! Yeah, it's just a, it's a, just a bit frustrating. And the... The fact that we even asked the competition and they still haven't posted anything or showed anything, um, it's just really frustrating. Like, how, how are we meant to grow the game if we don't know what's going on? Anyway, some people who are very good with their communication is the Hong Kong Rugby Football Union with Robbie McRobbie heading up things over there. And they were back in action with round two last week of the KPMG Women's Premiership, which is now, of course, Berth, well, I know you would have known, is a six-league competition rather than eight and last weekend was round two of ten so tell us what's been happening Berth. well the usrc tigers rsc are the ones that are making waves they're two from two with a thumping victory over associate general valley black ladies the leading light in the competition of late 41 to five yeah good big result that i mean i'm not not totally brushed up my uh, hong kong uh, women's club rugby but uh, by all accounts Yes, yeah, so the changing of the guard over there. So well done to the USRC Tigers. Basically, another week wrapped up for us there, Berth. Whizzing around the world as we as we do, intertwined with some very special guests. Again, as ever, we must just do a little community corner, though. Yep, Ben Thurkettle's been in touch. His niece Dorothy, who's the first female rugby player in their family from Beckanians RFC has been supporting children in need with her Girl Guide Club. By doing 12 tackles in a row, 12 times, yep, and she's 12. So well done. Yeah, great stuff. Well done, all of them. Ben simply got in touch with us through social medias to, to get a shout out on the pod. Please let us know your news. Tell us what's going on and how can they do that, Berth? So simply getting in touch on by Instagram or Twitter at Pod Women's Rugby. We also have an email address if you would prefer that, which is womensrugbypod at gmail.com. You could just send Robin round or you can send Speckled Jim the Carrier Pigeon. Entirely up to you. 
And a bit of news on the community front down in New Zealand. This is from uh, Sport New Zealand, and I quote, COVID-19 has proved challenging for our sector and heightened the existence of inequalities for Māoris within our system. This is why today Sport New Zealand has announced a $7 million investment through Kapapa Māori Response Plan. The plan is grounded to the Te Ora Māori approach that focuses on culturally distinctive pathways to enable Māori to succeed as Māori through play, active recreation and sport. That can only be good news. Well done, Sport New Zealand. Yet again, we're bigging up the uh, the Kiwis on the pod, Berth. Why don't you give us a blast of their national anthem again? No. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> anyway, thank you to our wonderful guests this week. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah, big thank you to uh, Helena Rowland, to, to Amy Cocaine. Who's coming on next week, Berth? Well, we've got Golden Girl Red Rose. Emily Scarrett's going to be joining us next week to talk about the last two weekends and picking up that Six Nations Award Women Player of the Tournament. We're also going to be speaking to Alison Hughes from World Rugby, who's in charge of the tournaments and competitions. It'd be great to get an insight on what's going on during all these COVID times. Yeah, absolutely. We are racing towards that World Cup and to hear from uh, Alison and all the exciting plans. So that'll be... uh, Really, really good positive chat. Just to remind you, Gloucester Hartbury sale on this weekend. Of course, no fans, but just to remind you of that fixture. And England against France at Twickenham at 12 noon, again on BBC Two. Please tune in. If you haven't seen Women's Rugby before, just try. Because for me, all the games last weekend, uh, the most enjoyable was the France-England game uh, for the women. So, anyway, yeah, do catch that. 12 noon, BBC Two. And we'll uh, we'll catch you in a week's time, Berth. We will do. Until next time.